The following audio is from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Acts is available at actschurchleander.com. Well, it is uh, good to be back with y'all. For those of you who don't know, I've been out the last couple weeks uh, on paternity leave. I've been getting wrapped around my daughter's little finger, and uh, it's been sufficient. I'm fully wrapped, so that's, that's done. Uh, and, and so I'm back, and, and I'm ready to roll, and, and excited to be with y'all. And, and we've been in a, a series since the beginning of the year uh, called The Story, in which throughout 2015, our plan is to go through the entire Bible as one full narrative. But today, we're actually going to take a little breather from that. Uh, we're going to get a little bit out of order. We're going to jump ahead uh, as, as we kick off Holy Week, and so that's why we're digging into Palm Sunday, and then next week we'll also not be in the story, but we'll be uh, at Easter. Um, and so, so we're excited for that. This, this, is, this is, like I said, this is like the central act of the Christian faith as we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so Palm Sunday is a really big deal because it's, it's the kickoff to it. It's, it's Jesus entering into Jerusalem, and all the events that unfold from there start here. And so this is a good story. Now, I don't know if you caught this in the reading today, uh, but Palm Sunday, the text we just read, is is actually, it's it's sort of filled with tension. It's filled with tension. There's there's two truths that we see in this text that seem to be opposed to each other, and yet they both sit there. The text is just filled with tension, and it reminds me of uh, one of the jobs I had when I was in high school. Um, So I I worked at a greenhouse in high school, and that may sound kind of like a wimpy job, uh, but it's not. All right, it's hard. All right, because it is the, at least when I was at it's like it's like working at a farm, except the farm is in a greenhouse. Right, so it's like working at a farm that's inside of an oven. Right, so it's it's hot and hard. It was brutal. And then really the real highlight of my job was my boss Ed. Right, you can guess. Okay, actually he was and he is a, a good man and he taught me how to work hard. But but he was not the easiest person to read. Uh, see, this is what would happen. Uh, I'd have to move these big carts filled with plants from like one side of the greenhouse to the other. And so I'd be moving them, and, and they're heavy, and I was having a hard time just, just getting them to go the way I wanted to. And Ed would go, Casper, that cart's not your girlfriend. You don't got to dance with it. So, all right? So, so Ed doesn't like dancing. All right, I'm against it. But then, but then, at the end of the day, we'd have to, we'd have to sweep the entire warehouse where we were. We'd have to sweep the entire warehouse, and so I'd be, I'd be sweeping the warehouse, and he'd go, Casper! Make that broom dance. And so I'm like, Ed, which one is it, right? Do you want me dancing or don't you want me dancing, right? This, this tension is unbearable, brother. You got you to resolve it for me. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, right? But that's how tension is, right? It's hard. There's, there's two truths. There's two things that we don't think belong together, and yet somehow they are together. And so what do we do with them? And see, what we see with Jesus on Palm Sunday is two truths come together that we don't think work well. But in Jesus, it's actually a beautiful thing. In Jesus, when these two truths come together, it's a beautiful thing. See, the two truths we see about Jesus on Palm Sunday are this. One, he is majestic. Two, he's meek. He's majestic and he's meek. In Jesus, two characteristics we find mutually exclusive, we come together, right? Infinite majesty and complete and total humility come together perfectly in Jesus. And so we're going to look at these two one at a time. Um, and, and so, first of all, let's look at Jesus as majestic. If you've got your Bibles, we'll look at verse 28. And it says this, And when he had said these things, he went on, going ahead, uh, went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. All right, so the, the first part of that verse says, When he had said these things, which should naturally lead us to ask the question, said what things, right? What's he talking about? Well, if we were to read uh, earlier in the text, uh, 
it, it tells us. Jesus tells a parable, but it starts with this in verse 19, verse 11. Just before our text for today, it says this. He proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. All right, so our text tells us that Jesus is near to Jerusalem and he knows the people are expecting me to go in and they're expecting the kingdom of God to arrive here today. That I'm going to set it up. I'm going to bring about the kingdom of God, which, which in a sense, that is what he's doing, but it's not how they think that he's going to do it. And so he tells them a parable about a nobleman who goes and inherits a kingdom. And I got to be honest, my hope was to, to tell you all to walk through that parable with you guys today. I seriously read like six different commentaries on it, and I found about six different ways to interpret it, because it's, it's a really tricky parable, uh, if, if I'm just honest. But there's one thing that all the commentators agree on, uh, except for like the guys that are like, they put on the History Channel sometime around, you know, wackos that are on there, okay? But, but like real scholars, okay, they, they all agree on one thing, and that is that the nobleman in Jesus' parable is rep- representative of Jesus. So Jesus is telling a parable about himself going to receive a kingdom. And so that's what he says just before our text. Just before he enters Jerusalem, the city of the king, Jesus tells his disciple a story in which a nobleman inherits a kingdom. And then he says this. Look with me at 29 through 34. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this. The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. All right, so what happens here? Jesus tells two of his followers, he says, Hey, go get me a colt that no one has ever ridden. And then he says, If the owners ask why you're taking them, just say this to them. Just say, The Lord has need of it. Now, what's the big deal here? What does that have to do with Jesus' majesty? Well, let's just add everything up that's happened so far in the text, all right? So Jesus tells a parable in which he represents a nobleman going to get a kingdom. And then he tells his followers to go get him a colt on which no one has ever ridden. And in uh, Numbers 19, Deuteronomy 21, 1 Samuel 6, again and again throughout the Old Testament and in Jewish thought, any animal that was unridden, unbroken, was thought to be used for a sacred purpose. It was meant to be used for a holy purpose. So Jesus is saying, hey, go get me that donkey because something holy is about to happen. Because something sacred is going on. And then he says, if they ask why you need it, say, the Lord needs it. And the word for Lord, there's the word curios. It's where we get the word Caesar or ruler. Jesus says he's a ruler. And then finally, on top of all that, there's no way Jesus' disciples didn't realize what he was doing. That what Jesus was doing is setting up a parade as a conquering king going into a city. That in in Jewish tradition and in Roman tradition, that was a very common practice to happen. And they knew that that's exactly what he was doing. And so let's just sum all that up. So in this text, Jesus says that he's on his way to get a kingdom. He says that he's holy. He says that he's a ruler. And then he puts together a parade that celebrates him as a conquering king. And so listen, Jesus is being very clear here. He's saying, I'm a big deal. He's saying, I'm not just doing important stuff. He's saying, I am important. I'm grand. 
I'm spectacular. I'm splendid. I'm majestic. And see, I say that about Jesus, and some people get a little bit uncomfortable. Why? Because it maybe shatters an image you have of him. Right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not Jesus. Jesus is the guy in the painting. He's holding the lamb. He's petting it. You know, he's very, very nice and soft, right? That's not the image here, right? This is, this is a conquering king going in to get his kingdom. See, Jesus is drawing a line here. And what he's saying is, either you see me as the king of all kings, either you see me as the promised one through whom God is going to bring about his kingdom, or you don't. But the picture we get at the beginning of this text is not a timid, bashful Jesus just hoping you'll pick him to be on your team, just hoping he'll be your deity of choice. No, he's saying, I'm it. I'm it. And see, depending on where you're at with him, it's either a very challenging truth or it's a very encouraging truth, right? See, if Jesus is sort of on the, the periphery of your life or not in it at all, that's going to be an inherently challenging truth, right? Because, because he's getting up in your face. He's drawing the line. and You've got to figure out how to respond to that, right? If, it'd be like if you were a, a professional basketball player, let's say. And let's say you're a professional basketball player that never heard of LeBron James. Don't ask me how it happened. Let's just say it happened, okay? And, and you are getting ready to play the Cavs, and so you watch footage of them, and you see this guy. You see LeBron just getting it done, right? You've got to figure out what you're going to do because he's way better than you, right? Either you quit basketball forever because you're not going to keep up with him, or you brush up on your defense. But the one thing you can't do after seeing him is nothing. You can't pretend that he's not there. He's there. It's in front of you. And it's the same thing here with Jesus. He's saying, listen, I'm the king. I'm a big deal. I'm getting my kingdom. You can't ignore me. He's saying, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Jesus is not being accidentally majestic here. He's drawing a line in the sand. He's saying, either I'm the king of all things or I'm not. And so if, you're not challenged, if you are challenged by that, let me encourage you to dig into it, right? Like, don't ignore it if you're challenged by that. You can talk to me about it. You can read a book. You can talk to someone else about it. But Jesus is either a liar or he's the Lord. There's not really a middle ground with him. He doesn't, doesn't allow for that to happen. There's no in-between with him. Now, if... However, you are on the other side of the coin here and you've glimpsed the majesty of Jesus in your life. Right? If, if, if he's your king, if he's your Lord, if his claims to majesty then should actually be an encouragement to you, right? Be really encouraging to you. It means that you're on the calves, right? You just give the rock to LeBron and get out of the way. That's it. But I think so often as Western Christians, uh, we fail to recognize the reality of Jesus as king. I think so often as Western Christians, we fail to recognize the power that there is in our Savior Jesus. Uh, here's what I mean. When I was uh, in seminary, I was in a, a counseling class. And uh, for, for this class, we had to get uh, paired up with, with another student, and we had to practice reflective listening, a counseling technique. And, and so I got paired up with my buddy, Nicholas Salifu. And um, you know him, Steve? Okay, good. Uh, anyways, and, uh, and Nicholas was, was from uh, Uganda, and, and so I got paired up with him, and he's from Uganda, and he was supposed to be the pastor, and I was the guy coming in with the problem. And he was supposed to reflective listen. Can I tell you? He was terrible at reflective listening. 
like the worst reflective listener in the world. See, I went in and I, I'm, I'm this, uh, this father who's concerned because my, my son was addicted to drugs. I think that was the, the role I was playing. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. And instead of uh, affirming what I'm saying, uh, summarizing what I said, and then parroting back to me like you're supposed to do in reflective listening, he just grabbed hold of me, got in my face, and he goes, Brother! You know that J- he had a cool accent. I don't have one. And he goes, you know James 5.16 says that the prayer of the righteous is powerful. Do you believe that? And I was like, uh, and I'm like looking at the prof, like, what am I supposed to do here? He's <laughs> like, I was like, yes. And he's like, well, then let's start praying and stop talking. Jesus is going to deliver your boy. And we, you know, we got, I was like, yes, sir. You know, like, and uh, <laughs> so. Now, here's terrible at reflective listening, right? But his faith in the majesty and the power of Jesus was incredible. And you can get weird with that sort of stuff and take it too far, okay? But I think there's a lesson there for us to learn as Western Christians. I think there's a lesson there for us to see that if Jesus really is who he says he is, if his majesty is really real, then like, what can stop us? If he's really the king of all kings, What's going to get in our way? Like, I think of our, our church right now, and we got so much going on. Like, we're trying to move into this building. We're, we're trying to launch Acts of Love, our, our free child care center for, for teen parents. And then in 2016, we're trying to plant two churches. And we, like, with the building, have run into, like, hiccup after hiccup. And with uh, Acts of Love, like, I keep hoping to just fall into a pile of money. It hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, and then I'm just thinking of like the great toll it's going to take for us to plant two churches in 2016. So I'm like thinking about all this, but, but the reality is if Jesus is real, big deal, right? Like we're fine. We're gold, baby, right? Like we are good. Oh, we, we got to have past inspections. All right, big deal. We can do it, right? And see, the same is true of your personal life. That if Jesus is king of your life, if he's the one in the center of it, then you're good to go, man. Like, of course, hard times are going to happen. Of course, things are going to get messy. That's what happens. But it's not happening outside of his control. It's not happening without him walking beside you, giving you strength to walk through it. And that, by the way, is why uh, this week, and... uh, Sorry, I'm bringing this up, Fran. But we're going to be praying for, for our sister, Fran, and her son, Justin, and her husband, Jack. Uh, that for those of you who don't know Fran's story, it's all right, can I tell it? It's a perfect time to ask. Uh, and, um, <laughs> uh, but for those of you who don't know Fran's story, she, she's a mother, and, and she's watched her son suffer tremendously under mental illness uh, for the past several years, and then increasingly so in the past several months. And she's watched him go from uh, living in a house to living in rehab centers, to apartments, to the streets, to jail, to a hospital, to wherever he is now. So you have to imagine the sort of hopelessness and the pain that's gone into that. But I just want to say, as a church, we believe that Jesus is bigger. We believe Jesus is bigger. We believe our our king is majestic. We believe our king actually has power that he's present in the midst of that. And so we're going to walk with Fran and Jack and Justin, and we're going to walk with Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you on your way out today. This is just a tangible, practical thing. We'll have prayer booklets, Gwen Holy will have for you, where you can pray for each day this week. And then we're doing a 24-hour prayer vigil um, on Thursday. So you can sign up for a time slot for that so we can just lift up uh, our sister in need. 
I want to encourage you to do that, that we would walk with Jesus, that we would trust in our majestic king, in our powerful king, because he's the king. He's in control. He's Lord. He's the boss. Right? But here's the beauty of Palm Sunday. We see that Jesus isn't just majestic, but that he's meek. He's humble. Look with me at verses 35 through 36. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. All right, so Jesus has made it clear that he's a king going to get his kingdom, but exactly what kind of king is he, and what kind of kingdom is he getting? Well, he's a king who rides a colt. In Greek, the word's polos. It literally means tiny donkey, right? So you got, I don't know, your levels of beasts, right? And so you got your, your big war horse, mule, donkey, and you got tiny donkey, right? So he's, he's riding tiny donkey. And on top of that, he's not on a saddle. It doesn't have armor. It's nothing more than a pile of coat, coats from poor, stinky fishermen. No war horse, no chariot, no trumpets blaring. Jesus is the king who rides in on a tiny donkey. That's how the king of all kings rides in to get his kingdom. Under the banner of humility. And so what does that tell you about him as a king? And what does that tell you about how his kingdom works? I recently read a book called uh, Humilitas. And it's uh, written by a historian, and, and for, for part of this book, he explains how humility came to be recognized as a virtue in our world, because that wasn't always the case. And he says, purely from a, a non-religious, purely academic, historical position, the rise of humility as a virtue in Western culture is almost entirely tied to, and I'm quoting here, a Jew from Nazareth named Jesus. That as Christianity rose in influence, so did the virtue of humility. And why? Why did that happen? Because Jesus was humble. Because Jesus was meek. In Humilitas, the author John Dixon puts it like this. If the greatest man we have ever known chose to forego his status for the good of others, reason the early Christians, greatness must consist in humble service. The shameful place is now a place of honor. The low point is the high point. And then, because he's an academic, he, of course, has to over-clarify what he's saying. Uh, and so he goes on, and he says, My point is not that Christians alone can be humble. Rather, as a plain historical statement, humility came to be valued in Western culture as a consequence of Christianity's dismantling of the all-pervasive honor-shame paradigm of the ancient world. Today, it doesn't matter what your religious views are. Christian, atheist, Jedi Knight. If you were raised in the West you are likely to think that honor-seeking is morally questionable and lowering yourself for the good of others is ethically beautiful. See, this starts here with King Jesus riding in to get his kingdom, sitting on dirty coats on a tiny donkey. Jesus redefined greatness as humility. He went to go establish a kingdom where the last are first. The little ones are elevated, where the, the most humble are the greatest of all, 
where greatness isn't measured by your bank account or your abilities, but it's measured by humility and service. A kingdom that's defined by a king who gives of himself for everyone. See, Jesus is majestic, he's powerful, but what does he do with that? He humbles himself and serves others. He lowers himself for the sake of others. He's majestic and he's meek. I say all this, if if you're going to take Jesus as he is, if you're really going to trust him as Lord of your life, if you're going to let him transform you, then you have to see both of these truths and you have to hold them both in tension. He has to be both majestic and meek. It's not either or, he's both. And you got to take him as both. See, if you just take him as majestic, you'll treat him like the crowds did in our text for today. Look at these verses 37 to 38. As he was drawing near... Already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so the crowds, they praise Jesus for his majesty. They say, hey, look at what he's done. This guy's so powerful. This guy's so awesome. He's going to go into the city. He's going to kick the Romans out. He's going to take over as our conquering king. But then when Jesus goes in the city, and he doesn't establish God's kingdom by conquering, but by being conquered, when his victory doesn't come on the backs of other people, but through him suffering and dying on the cross for the sins of the world, Where are these crowds then? Have either run away or worse have turned against them. See, if Jesus is just majestic in your life, then you'll only be able to praise him when things are going well. If he's just majestic in your life, you're only going to be able to to honor him and thank him when everything's going the way that you think it should, insofar as life works out the way that you think it should. But you got to see Jesus is meek as well. Jesus is both majestic and meek. And some of you may say, all right, I'm cool with that. Uh, I got a problem with him being majestic. I just want him to be meek. All right, look with me at verses 39 through 40. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So what happens here is the Pharisees, the religious elite, they, they got a problem with Jesus being this majestic king. They don't like it. And so what do they call him? They don't call him king. They don't call him lord. They don't call him ruler. What do they call him? They call him a teacher. Say, teacher, just tell everyone to calm down a little bit. You see, if the majesty of Jesus is an issue for him, if you want him to be a little bit more on the periphery of your life, don't let him say too much, do too much. You can just kind of hang out here in the corner. Then you're acting like the Pharisees here. Right? Like, Jesus, you can be a good teacher. He can offer, offer helpful ways for you to live a moral life. Well, it's, it's good to, to serve others. But the second he might challenge your views on money or sexuality or community or politics or sacrifice, then you need to back off, Jesus. That's too much. You're overstepping your bounds. Go back in the frame. Pet the sheep. Okay? You just stay meek. Listen, man. Jesus is both. He's majestic and he's meek. He's both. He's powerful. He's humble. He's in unresolved tension. And you've got to grab hold of both of those truths. And when you do, when you really grab hold of those truths and have them sink deep in your life, man, that's when Jesus starts to transform you. That's when you start to see things change. So I worked at a, a church in Minnesota. 
several years ago, and while I was there, I connected with a guy who we'll call Sam. And, um, and Sam was a kid, he, he grew up in a Christian home, but, but as he entered college, he kind of lost sight of the majesty of Jesus, if you will, and, and sort of put him on the periphery or just had him out of his life altogether. And, and in college, Sam actually became an a, uh, abuser of, of drug and alcohol. And so by age 24, um, he, he found himself in rehab, and then I met him actually at a recovery meeting at, at the church I was, I was working at. And so he and I started talking, and, and he worked through the 12 steps, and he got cleaned up, and, and, and he kind of regained his faith, and he, he saw Jesus as majestic again, that, that Jesus was Lord, was center, was powerful. It helped him uh, come through this, this addiction, and it was, it was great. Uh, and so uh, he started playing music with me. I, I led a Saturday night worship service, and, and he would play music with me. And one Saturday night, he didn't show up. Whole service, he's not there, not there. And he shows up at the end, and he comes up to me, and he's just like bawling. And he says, Gabe, I blew it. I blew it. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, Gabe, I, I, I broke my sobriety last night, and, uh, and I just I, I couldn't come to church today. I couldn't let God see me like this. I didn't deserve to be here. Now, do you see what he's done there? So he sees Jesus as majestic now, but he doesn't see him as meek. And so I got to say to him, Sam... <laughs> Man, it, it's, it's not about what you do or don't do. That God forgives you. That Jesus humbled himself and went to the cross for you. That because of that, you're fully accepted. You're fully embraced. See, it's majesty and it's meekness. It's grabbing hold of both of those truths that really changes us. And this story actually comes full circle. A couple of weeks ago, this guy, Sam, uh, was down here for South by Southwest. He was playing a showcase, and uh, I actually got to go see him. And, and afterwards, he and I hung out, and we talked, and he just pulled me aside, and he just said, hey, Gabe, I just want to let you know uh, that, that I've been sober for, for two years now, and, uh, and I'm, I'm following after Jesus, and, and, and life's going really good. And it's such a, a cool thing uh, to hear. You see, here's the, here's the truth we see on, on Palm Sunday. That Jesus is humble enough to enter into your life. But he's powerful enough to actually do something about it, to actually change you. That's our king. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this Palm Sunday. This day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem as a king, but not a king who won victory by conquering others, but by being conquered, by allowing himself to be nailed to the cross, that our sins might be taken away, that we might be brought into a right relationship with you. So Lord God, I, I pray that we would look to our king who is both majestic and meek, who is powerful and humble. Help us to find strength from him and to find comfort in his grace. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.